0: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder brought to you this week by Dunkaroos. He's Paul Tenorio.
1: I'm <laughs> Sam Steiskel. Paul, you remember Dunkaroos? Not only do I remember Dunkaroos, but I think as a dad, like I'm like a couple years from Dunkaroos being back into my life, man. Dude,
0: are Dunkaroos still around? Cuz me and my brother, when I was like a senior in high school, he would have been a sophomore, we like drove around town looking for Dunkaroos could not find them. This was like pre-Amazon Prime era, so you know, I'm sure somebody
1: could could dig them up on the internet. But we went to like a, we went to a Costco.
0: Was... We went to we went to the grocery stores. We went all over the place.
1: They have to be around. It's not like they're like four Locos that got banned. Like why would well, they ever go away? You know, this episode, maybe next episode will be brought to you by four logo. Totally different yeah. vibe to <sighs> <of> that episode.
0: <laughs> and Paul's talking about real four logo for you oh, yeah, kids yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. real four Loco, the,
1: not, not, yeah, the, not They, they the still sell
0: four loco but basically. it doesn't. It doesn't include four Red Bulls worth of caffeine anymore, so it doesn't really count.
1: I recently saw a guy screaming outside of the post office near my um, house, and there were two crushed Four loco cans next to him, and I was like, wow. imagine if that was real Four loco." Maybe it was.
0: Maybe it's like 12 years old and expired and no. extra fermented. I had a
1: friend who tried to keep some Four Locos alive for like five years, and eventually they went they went bad. It was real sad. I mean, did he drink them anyway or what? Tried, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, family friendly episode of the podcast. I had a friend who, when the FDA banned Old Four Loco, he went around and bought up every single can he could find, and then he made a killing reselling them for months afterward. That guy's really rich now.
1: I would have spent a lot of money I didn't have if I knew your friend at that time.
0: Um, you probably would have had it. He was. It wasn't that expensive. He was selling them for like two fifty a can. It wasn't that big of a deal. Regardless, this is taking a turn that I didn't expect. We were starting with family friendly Dunkaroos, and now here we are, two minutes into the show, talking about 4 Loco. Paul, there's a lot happening in American soccer. The U.S. national team is playing games again. They had a game on Thursday afternoon. We are recording on Thursday evening. They beat Jamaica 4 to 1, uh, decent performance. The U.S. Olympic. Team is attempting to qualify for the summer game, so they have advanced to the semifinals. By the time you are listening to this, they will know their opponent. We do not know that opponent just yet. It will be Canada or Honduras, the winner of Group B on Sunday. The U.S. lost to Mexico 1-0 on Wednesday night to finish second in Group A. And some other developments going on. MLS preseason is moving along. We're only... what, three weeks away from the start the of the schedule, season? The schedule was released. We were going to have to the talk schedule. about that. The schedule. The schedule. The <laughs> schedule. Aluminium. That's out. Um, we're three weeks away from the start of the regular season, which is crazy. Um, I wrote a very long scholarly. Am I allowed to call it scholarly? You can call whatever you want, Academic. Sam. It was not like super... I'm not going to like degrade it and say it was like reading a textbook, but it wasn't like out of the textbook family. It wasn't Is a that be- fair. It wasn't a beach read. You know, it wasn't a. Beach read. <laughs> no, you had to sit down, put on a your your blazer with with patches on the elbows, maybe, put on your glasses, maybe an espresso. Wow, oh, we get European with it. I don't think uh, MLS ownership story. We don't go European. Okay, <laughs> strictly American and also Canadian. Uh, anyway, I wrote a big story this week on MLS franchise valuations and we are going to spend, you know, hopefully not a too self-indulgent amount of time talking about that piece. Um, Paul, I kind of feel weird setting it up. Can you intro this?
1: Well, I think one of the things that we encounter often in our jobs, um, both covering Major League Soccer and also covering the kind of behind the scenes of Major League Soccer, are people asking us, how is it possible? How is it possible that the prices of these Major League Soccer teams and these expansion slots are so insanely high. More than $300 million for the Chicago Fire. More than $300 million for Charlotte's expansion slot. $500 million valuation for Orlando City. This doesn't make sense. You can buy a Premier League team for less than that. How many times have we heard it's Less that? than half of some of those numbers. And, and that's essentially the crux of this story. You went to investigate why these valuations are so high, why these people who have made a tremendous amount of money, for the most part, most of the people, in the, most of the owners in the league in business are looking at the business model of major league soccer, a, a model that some people call a Ponzi scheme and saying, yeah, I feel confident in investing. I feel confident in these valuations. I'm okay with this price, even if I'm not making a profit, even if the money's not coming in, even if the TV ratings aren't great. And so that's what this story was about. Why are MLS valuations so high? Well,
0: I think to answer that question, what I found, right, there's a rational part of my brain and then there's the heart part, which is like, how is Southampton or how is Newcastle going for less than what Orlando City is going to go for, right? Like that just doesn't compute. and as you dig into it, it starts to make a lot more sense. So MLS doesn't have the fans, they don't have the relevance, they don't have the TV ratings, they don't have all of that stuff, but they are on somewhat of an upward trajectory in a lot of those factors. Uh, attendance is a pretty good story for the league. It's top 10 in the world by most measures. The figure I found that I thought was most illustrative was from 2013 to 2018, that five year period. The average MLS attendance over that five year period was eighth in the entire world. Just behind League and Syria A. So, you know, you're competing with the top leagues in terms of butts and seats, or at least tickets distributed, I guess. So but the real thing is is they're buying the growth, right? They're buying the potential for growth. And the whole idea is, okay, an MLS team might cost you three hundred and fifty million bucks right now, but over a long time horizon. And these owners are thinking in long time horizons. They're not thinking, Oh, 2026. We got to cash in by then. No, they're thinking 2050, 2070, right? These are family heirlooms in many cases, right? So they're thinking in those ter- terms and they're thinking, All right. Well, at some point, a media deal is going to hit and this $300 million asset, this $400, $500 million asset is going to be a billion dollar asset or a billion and a half. And by the way, the cost control, the single entity structure, structure, soccer, United Marketing, the league and subsidiary, all of that gives me a pretty stable floor. It certainly doesn't seem like it's going to be going down at this point from MLS teams. Um, and I'm going to have some fun. And that's a key thing here too, right? There are a lot of really, really rich people in the US and in Canada that don't know what to spend their money on. And so if you can say, hey, here's something that you can it's going to cost you a lot up front right it'll cost you 350 million dollars or whatever up front but you can buy in the burn rate going to be pretty low you might not make money year to year but you're probably not going to lose that much if you're a billionaire right it's like 5 million that is peanuts to these people compared to their other businesses and i'm not an accountant and i didn't talk to any accountants for this story but i'm imagining that there are some tax write-offs involved with those losses Um, so the burn rate's not too bad, you're gonna have a good time, you get to own this cool thing that gets you cachet and standing in the community and access to people that you may have not even had access to. Um, and there's the potential that it could sort of turn lottery tickets strong because this would be a very this is a very expensive lottery ticket. But there's the potential that it could grow 2, 3, 4, 5, 6x in value before too, too long. And for some owners that's already happened.
1: Well that's all I was just about to say. This isn't speculation in some in some ways, in some manners, right? Let's let's take a look at a recent sale, which is what you open with, with the Chicago Fire and Joe Mansueto. He purchased the Chicago Fire over two over two years and two purchases. And first of all, the valuation increase from purchase number one to purchase number two was insane, right? The 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 Amount of money spent—the difference in the amount of money spent from the first forty-nine percent he bought to the fifty-one percent he bought was a, a, a crazy. The valuation
0: went from two hundred forty million in round one to four hundred million in round two in the space of fourteen months. Right,
1: and there are probably many, many reasons for that 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 he would not want to talk to us about, but that we could probably learn many about no, many non-financial reasons. But but let's set those aside for now. Andel Holdings, Andrew Hauptman, purchased the Chicago Fire from AEG in 2007 for $35 million, okay? Let's assume that the Chicago Fire were the worst-run business and worst-run MLS team for the entirety of Andrew Hauptman's ownership, and that they lost $10 million a year for 13 years. That's a pretty significant loss, especially when you factor in the payments from Soccer United Marketing, write-offs, things like that. Let's just assume that he was sinking $10 million a year for 13 years. That's $130 million, and you take the other $35 million, you have $165 million spent. 155. One, 155.
0: Get your calculator out. 120 plus 35.
1: 155. I said 13 years. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, so you're right, my bad. <laughs> Too many Dunkaroos. <laughs> so even having spent 165 million dollars, when you sell it for 200 or sorry, 320 million dollars, you're talking about a nine-digit 155 million dollar profit for Andrew Halpin. That's crazy.
0: And that's where the profits are in these things. It's on exit. It's not year to year. You might make 5 million a year, but the real gains are on exit until that TVD TV deal comes in. And there are a lot of people who are very skeptical that as these prices go up and up and up, our owners is going to be able to sell. Who's going to want these things? Right? And that's interesting to me. And we have some real life test cases right now, right? You mentioned Orlando, Paul. The Wilf family is in discussions to to buy that. You reported that Along with a couple of our colleagues a few weeks ago for what, $450 million? Was that the number that you guys reported? A
1: valuation of $450 million. Yeah. How and much that includes. Cash so, they actually put down and all of that.
0: And, and we, we don't know for sure, but I would guess that would include the stadium and the Orlando Pride as well. So it's not just the MLS team.
1: Um, and Flavio most, Augusta da Silva owns less than 80% of the team now, somewhere around, you know, I think it's somewhere around 73, 74% of the team. So you take, Seventy-four percent of that four hundred fifty million dollar valuation, mm-hmm. and and you know you get into kind of the debt that's on the club, but the the most important number is the valuation of the club off of which the sale price is based.
0: Right, and and so there I think are real questions: Will someone buy the Houston Dynamo, who are also for sale, for a number like that? Will someone buy Real Salt Lake, also for sale, for a number like that? And I don't know the answer to that right now. Um, I would imagine, yes, at some point, certainly for Houston. Um, and the reason why is it's pretty simple. It's scarcity is one of the main things. And that's not just scarcity in soccer. That's scarcity in North American sports, right? And so, yeah, if somebody's a big soccer junkie, right, and they just want to own a soccer team, well, maybe they're not going to be the person to come in and buy that, right? Maybe they'll go to Europe or they'll go to Mexico or somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but if somebody wants to get into the NBA and has been trying to do that, or get into the NFL or MLB, and they don't even really care. They just want to be a part of the North American Sports Ownership Club. They want to score points in those rich people Olympics. Then MLS is a much more accessible option. It's a much cheaper option, and the growth potential is probably much greater than some of these other teams, except for maybe the NFL, which is, you know, maybe not the growth potential, but you're making a lot of money year over year, every year in that league. But you can't get into the NFL. Right. Yeah. You like, need, you that's, need that's serious. Not a thing.
1: Serious. Like, FU like money Jeff
0: Bezos, like maybe he can buy the Washington football team from, from Dan tonight. Maybe. Right. Maybe if he's lucky. MLS, you can get into there are expansion spots available. There are teams that are up for sale right now. There will probably be more teams up for sale before the 2026 World Cup. And we can get into that here in a minute. Um, so it's all going to be really interesting and fascinating, but the valuations have grown massively over the last decade over the last five years i mean orlando city we talk about they bought into the their expansion fee was 70 million right and i can't remember when exactly i think that was 2013 maybe it was 2014 that that was agreed to
1: they they paid the fee in 2013 they came into the league in 2015 2014 was their final year in usl okay
0: so 2013 was when the expansion agreement was hammered out um you're talking six years later for charlotte Right. That, that's pretty much 5X for Tepper at 325 or up to 325 in Charlotte. That's wild. Right. And that's part of this too is you can charge a lot of money for the expansion fee if you're MLS just be, just because basically if there's only X amount available and you want to bring your team into, if you want to bring a team in, in this specific city, well, then this is the price. And, and like, that's that.
1: Well, well, Sam, to your point, this is important because there are people who want to buy into that growth, who believe in the growth yeah. of American soccer. And Sam, a big part of your piece was why? Where, where do they project that growth? And you had a quote from Joe Mansueto in the piece. You had some quotes from other people in the piece talking about that. One major piece is the TV deal and the, the idea that there will be growth there for MLS. Now you spoke to two different people. Two different owners in Major League Soccer. One was Joe Manzuedo on the record who's talking about it. Another was another owner on background who was talking about it. What, what was the range of opinions that you heard on kind of what to expect out of that TV deal and why that TV deal matters when it we're talking about the valuation of major league soccer teams.
0: Sure. Well, Paul, first of all, give yourself some credit. I didn't talk to Joe Mansueto. You did. <laughs> um, you graciously asked a question for me in that interview that you had with him. Sorry. Right. Thank the you. The story um, spoke to
1: both Joe Mansueto and another owner.
0: <laughs> uh, just peeling the curtain here. Uh, yeah. I mean, people are a little bit more pessimistic now about the TV deal than they were a year and a half ago, I would say. Uh You know, the current rights agreement from the three American broadcasters, so Fox, ESPN, and Univision, pays $90 a year to MLS teams. That was signed ahead of the 2015 season and went into effect in 2015. That's nothing in sports. Nothing. Like, the NHL just, their previous deal paid them $200 million a year from NBC. They're up for a new deal right now. Um, they just signed an agreement with ESPN. They're probably going to sign an, another agreement with NBC, maybe somebody else. People are projecting that'll get as high as 625 million. The EPL rights, which are also up, I believe, at the end of this season, NBC pays 167 million a year, roughly, for those. Um, so MLS is kind of bottom of the barrel in this regard. And until that money goes up, the league isn't going to change in a meaningful way. In terms of how teams spend their money, um, I I really you know so so people I spoke to are a little bit more pessimistic about it. Like the numbers are varying. Maybe they can get to two hundred million. I don't know. This market is crazy,
1: right? CBS, like the te- CBS just acquired Siri A rights for Paramount yeah. Plus for seventy five million dollars a year. For no, I didn't see, I didn't see that number. That's
0: wild. So, and, and the quote, the quote in the press release from the CBS Viacom exec was, we are building a critical mass in soccer. And I saw that. And, and if I'm reading that and I'm an MLS owner or an executive, my eyes are lighting up. Right. And, and so if you can get into a bidding war and people want you bad enough, then who knows what the price can be? Right. Um, right now people are pessimistic about that. That's primarily because MLS doesn't have a massive audience. Right. National TV games struggle to break more than 300, 325,000 viewers. Um, that seems to be kind of the threshold for the league and has been for, for a while now. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I don't know what the league says. Hey, the World Cup's coming. We're going to build off of that. I, like that deal is really important for the short term growth of the league and the trajectory of the league. But people weren't too optimistic about this one, but they, that didn't deter them. Right from the overall valuation, the overall growth prospects. Because I say, okay, well, if you don't get this one, maybe you get the next one, or maybe you get the one after that. And that's why I made the point about the time horizon off the top, right? Because even if you don't kill it in this next deal, well, maybe in twenty thirty you have a new one and it goes bananas,
1: right? And that maybe would be fine a, maybe, for owners. Maybe you sign a shorter deal, and you're negotiating off the back of the twenty twenty six World Cup, right? And and I think you know there are a couple of things. I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who works in investing at very high levels, and we were talking about Joe Mansueto's quote about kind of how all of these different trends for Major League Soccer are upwardly sloping to the right and how you discount that um to reach this valuation. And essentially the idea is when you are trying to value something in the now where you know that you're going to be getting – or you're projecting that, that you're going to be at 20 times where you're Yeah, you, you just take the present the value of that projection. Yeah. You have to account for that in order to put a cash value on what you're buying now. Or, or at certainly the sellers are going to do that. And, and so when we're talking about these, these, these ideas of growth and where these numbers could go, these aren't, you know, these aren't just speculative discussions of like, this idea in the air. I mean, these are things that are being negotiated. These are things that people are putting real values on when they sit down and try to buy a major league soccer team. And, and so there is r- real belief, both from the buyer's perspective of why I'm willing to spend this much money, but from the selling perspective too of I have, you know, this is, these valuations are coming from a real <laughs> well. place.
0: Maybe no. there's real belief on the selling side, but they have to believe it in the negotiation. Yeah, of, course <laughs> they, of course they have to. Of course they. Have to.
1: I'm sure they're believing. <laughs> if it's they much, really
0: much. believed it, maybe they wouldn't be selling. But, but I, um
1: I also, Sam, quickly want to set some expectations for the TV rights. Okay, so when when the new when the previous TV deal was signed back in 2015, there were 20 teams in Major League Soccer. Right. So 90 million per year t- divided by the 20 teams is about four and a half. Million—it's four and a half million dollars per team per year. Now we know even, that. That's not- I'm not even going to
0: incorrectly correct you on that because I think you nailed it, Paul.
1: I, I have my calculator out this time. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure. I needed it, not you. I needed it. So, so if you if you start to do the math out, in order to hit that same four and a half million dollars per season per team mark that they hit in the last deal, all they need to do is get that number up to 135 million dollars a year. Now, clearly, they're going to want to exceed that. So just to double the money per year, which would not be that great of a growth, I don't think. It wouldn't be heralded as a massive success. They're going to be looking, if they sign a TV deal that's $270 million per year, that's triple, quote unquote, what the last deal was, but it's only doubling what each team is seizing seeing per season because of the a number of teams that have come into the league. Once you get experience. to thirty. Once you get to thirty. Once teams. you get to thirty. So you have to factor that in as well when we're talking yeah, about major league. That soccer. has to be
0: part of the discussion. When, when you, that's that's nine million dollars per team per year, which is just to put it in perspective, less than one Brenner for FC Cincinnati.
1: Right, exactly. And so when we talk about the success of this next T V deal, you have to go north I mean really you want to go north of $400 million per year to really start to get into something that's changing the dynamics of how these MLS teams are are bringing in media revenue. Doubling your money is not bad, but it's it's not as, mu- as far as these teams would have liked this jump to go. And I, I'm very curious sure. to see I mean, where that number winds up.
0: Uh, me too. And I can't pretend to understand that media rights landscape. And This is something... This is a topic that we should look into further and maybe write about I've at tried. some point later this year. I've tried. I'll um, keep trying. But it's wild. It's all over the place. Sometimes it feels like it's raining in. Sometimes it feels like it's massively expanding at this particular moment in time. It feels like it's massively expanding, um, particularly with the entry of, of Paramount Plus and everything they're doing in soccer. Uh, and ESPN Plus is still out there. Who knows if you have an Amazon get in the play, Um Dzone. Right. Like, I think MLS is going to want to still be on actual television. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, it's a lot harder to, to grab people who are just casually flipping channels. If you have to flip to ESPN plus or Paramount plus, <laughs> I think that goes without saying. So they're still going to want to be on TV. Um, this whole thing's fascinated me, man. And th- there's, so there are a lot of elements to this kind of growth story. I just want to kind of reset for a second. Right, so you have these factors that are working in their favor. You have a potential media rights explosion, and that's that's kind of the dreamland scenario, right? Um, you're capturing more fans. The demographics are in MLS's favor. I think that's really important. The league has a pretty young, pretty diverse fan base that's pretty reflective of where the U.S. and Canada are going demographically, and that's really important. Um, there are a lot of soccer. We talk about this all the time. There are a lot of soccer fans. In these two countries already, right? Most of those soccer fans are not MLS fans, but those people should theoretically be easier to capture than someone who's not a fan of a certain sport. If you're a league in that certain sport, right? So there are a lot of things working in the league's favor. And then the two main vehicles, right? That they're looking to kind of exploit to fuel this growth are the World Cup, which we've touched on and. A relationship with Liga MX. So let's talk a little bit more about the World's Cup here. Do you think that 2026 World Cup is going to be that trampoline for MLS? I'll let you think about it for a second. We're going to take a quick break and come back with that discussion.
2: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, I just
0: asked you a question right before we went to break. I'm going to ask you that question again here in a second. Before I do that, I am just going to say we glossed over this a little bit, so I just want to hit it real fast. There is like a security and cost control element to all of this as well. Um, MLS owners have limited costs, and that's governed by single entity, and that's governed by the CBA, and that's governed by all of the things that we've talked about when this was the world's most foremost labor relations podcast. Um, so that's a big element of this, too, and I don't want to undersell that, but it's not super sexy or fun to talk about, so we're going to move beyond it. 2026 World Cup, going to be hosted by the United States, Canada, and Mexico. The owner that I spoke to, honestly, basically laid it out for me like this, in terms of how the league thinks about that World Cup. He basically was like, the 1994 World Cup that was in the U.S., That essentially created the league. That had enough momentum around to create the league. So the assumption at the league now, or the the story, not the assumption, the story at the league now is that the 2026 World Cup will have a similar step function for MLS, right? It won't create the league. The league's already here. But it'll improve it by that kind of magnitude. Do you buy into that, Paul? What do you think of that?
1: Do I believe that it can be... And could be the same step as the 1994 World Cup was for American soccer? Absolutely yes. Do I think it will be? No. And the simple reason is because I do not think that there is enough support in the ownership groups in Major League Soccer to take the steps that would need to be taken in spending in order to... Truly use the World Cup as a trampoline. Now, I recently had a conversation with somebody who kind of challenged me on that idea of saying, well, why should the owners do that? What is the real incentive for owners to spend significantly more money with kind of no guarantee that there will be that type of return, that, that the, that the fans will tune into Major League Soccer? There's not really, um, proof that People are going to watch the World Cup and MLS is going to start spending 40 or $50 million per year on their rosters and signing better players and bigger stars from teams around the world. And all of a sudden, everyone's going to start watching MLS. That's a theory, but there's no proof to it. So... And I don't really have a I comeback I actually, I actually that. buy
0: I that. Disagree. I think unless you spend, I think you yeah. spend to the, le- if you, unless you spend to the level where you're getting literally the best players in the world and you're stocking every team with them, then you're probably not going to have that step function. So I, I kind of buy into that line
1: of thinking. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I get that. I get that line of thinking. I don't think you have to be a Champions League level club to have relevance. I do think that you can be a Dortmund, a Red Bull Salzburg even. You just you just named you two Champions League the, clubs. Yeah, but not <laughs> the type of clubs that you're talking about. We're not talking about Real Madrid money. We're not talking about Bayern Munich money. We're not talking about Tottenham money or Chelsea money yeah, yeah, or Man City money. You know, what we're talking about is investing significantly in that Next level of player, the 24, 25 year old who's going for $20 million transfer fee and a $10 million, $15 million a year salary or whatever it may be. Probably, right? probably not, not that necessarily high. Yeah. together. Not, you know, not the same player we're talking about there, but those levels of players. I do think that that could drive more excitement in the league. I do think you can sell to the American public that MLS is a more, I don't know, seriously, whatever you have to do to kind of close that perception cap. However, I understand the line of thinking of there's no guarantee that we can do that, that we can market that. And, And in fact, there might be a better way, something I've actually advocated for for a long time, of showing and displaying the growth of the league and this is something that you touched on in your story sam and that's through developing players and selling them and opening up right. that line that creates
0: up. value for these clubs too by the way
1: and it, and, it, and it does start to sell the league as a place where top players play and they yes they still get sold to big clubs in europe but you know they're still putting good players on the field today you you gave me a hard time for the one tweet I made during the U.S. soccer game <laughs> when, yes, I was trolling a little bit more. I just entertained myself when I thought of the tweet. And I was like, uh, I got this with the world. You
0: told players. the joke and like, laughed at it yourself. Yeah, exactly. I can relate to that.
1: Which is that, you know, the number of people that tell me Reggie Cannon should never be near a U.S. national team field. Why? Because he's an MLS player. Brendan Aronson should never be on the field for U.S. national team. Why? Because he's an MLS player. And then the moment they get to Europe... Reggie Cannon actually still hasn't gotten to this point yet because Bovis is not a big enough club. But, you know, Salzburg has their respect. So Brendan Aronson is there. All of a sudden, Brendan Aronson has one good performance since he moved to Salzburg and he's like, Oh, this kid, this kid's pretty good. You know, and it's like, (laughs) Oh, you know, he actually wasn't good until January 3rd when his plane landed in Austria. No, he was a good player in MLS. That matters, right? Showing that you produce these good players matters. And I do think it's a better, or or I guess maybe a more cost-efficient way of sending that message. Do I think, again, let's go back to your question after my long tangent. Do I think the World Cup can be at trampoline? Yes. Do I think it will be? No, not for major leagues. I
0: don't think there's any chance it could have the same sort of step function as 1994. It literally created the league. Like, how could you compare to that? Even if it was like the best possible scenario, how could you compare to that? I don't... I, I mean, the more... I wrote this story, like the more things kind of crystallized, the more I reported the story, I should say, the more things sort of crystallized. And it's just like, it's the story of MLS, man. It's incremental growth. That's what it is. It's just incremental growth. And I don't anticipate a huge increase in spending before the World Cup. And I don't think that a huge increase in spending would necessarily have a huge impact. Because I think a hole in our coverage, Paul, like honestly is sort of this assumption that oh if you spend a lot more money on players more people will tune in more people will go to stadiums i don't know if that's necessarily true i think if you spend and this isn't really a spend thing if you try and create better atmospheres in your own stadiums i think that draws more people more than you know becoming a little bit better than liga mx right i think that could have a, plenty of people watch college football it's an inferior product Right? Why do people like college football? Well, history, pageantry, but also because the atmospheres are really cool in those stadiums, and it's exciting, right? And some MLS teams have that. I think if you had that everywhere in the league, it could be pretty interesting. Um, and there are a lot pretty of other ironic factors ironic for play. you to be
1: saying that. The number of games you've been to at Ryan Field, that's all I'm saying. Wow, Ryan Field. I, I hear what you're saying, but but I also... Money factors and No, in. I'm not
0: saying it's not a factor. I'm just saying it's not the only factor. You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) I think the question though, Sam, is, is, is how much money, how much spending equates to a good enough product on the field to drive fans? I don't know. It's not just, there's a curve, right? But at
0: some point you get diminishing marginal returns.
1: MLS is way, is too far, too many. I should say this too many MLS teams are too far below that curve. So when we, we, we have to get, we have to see more significantly more MLS teams getting to the level of spending of LAFC, Atlanta, Toronto, just even getting yeah. to the level of spending of Seattle or the efficiency of spending of Seattle in order to put a better product on the field that will drive interest from fans. And that's where MLS has been lacking and that's where they can do significantly yeah. better. They they can, they the can try Party. harder. And I right? think they can Sam, you wouldn't and- you and I have talked about this before. This concept of uh, of a floor, uh, a minimum that teams have to spend. It's not high. Yeah, event,
0: no, I agree. Though. I agree with all of these enough. things that you're saying. I'm kind of playing a little devil's advocate here. I just don't think that the step function off of the World Cup can be like this massive panacea where it fixes all of the problems, right? I don't think that's really a possibility. And even if the league went bonkers, I don't think that would be a real possibility. So, what could it be, right? That's the next question. And I think I think it's. All right. Well, everyone I spoke to is pretty confident, and I don't think you would disagree with this. I don't think anyone listening would disagree with this. The World Cup is going to increase interest in the sport in the United States, right? I think at a bare minimum, you are going to see an increase in attendance down the stretch of the 2026 MLS season in basically every single market in the league, right? Those those that have room to increase that number anyway. Um And that will probably carry over a little bit into 2027, I would imagine. Now, does it translate into more eyes on TV, right? That's a different question. And that's one that I'm not sure the answer to. I don't think anyone is sure the answer to that. Um, five, six years down the road, right? It's a hard future to predict. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think MLS is going to go crazy in terms of increasing the spending before that World Cup. Maybe if the U.S. does something wild and, like, wins the damn thing, maybe that changes the game. Afterward, in terms of what soccer could be, and in terms of how much money these owners want to spend, but I, I think it's going to stay the same story, man. It's going to be incremental growth. Maybe you, maybe you step on the gas a little bit more around that tournament before and after, um, but then you probably go back to incremental again. And and I think, I think that's okay. Honestly, I think we've gotten so I've gotten so caught up, and I'll stop here in a second because I've been going for a while. I've gotten so caught up in the whole League of Choice thing, right? Oh, we're going to be a League of Choice by 2022. And then it's, oh, we're going to be a League of Choice by 2026, right? Um, and those deadlines are stupid and arbitrary. And I think the rhetoric is ridiculous around it. And I get that the league is trying to sell itself and all of that stuff. But I think incremental progress is okay, right? It's a fun product right now to go see in person in most of these markets. The soccer's decent, Most of the time, it's really fun sometimes. And so I think growing it incrementally is fine. Um, And and I think we just kind of get wrapped up in the narrative that the league puts out there around that league of choice, best league in the world
1: in five, 10 years, whatever it is, sort of stuff. And that stuff pisses me off. Sam, for me, this falls to one concept when we talk about increasing popularity within the country or capitalizing on the potential popularity of the 2026 world cup here in the United States and bringing in casual soccer fans or new soccer fans to major league soccer, not just into your stadiums where most teams, I don't want to say most teams where that's not the biggest problem. for No, it's a strength. It's a the strength. The show. Awesome. But, but certainly for the television audiences. And I think the bigger question to really truly do that is, how can Major League Soccer be more relevant in global football? Right? Like, I think that matters. I think it matters to have some level of respect that they don't create. But that, that level is, that from level is the rest growing. Of though. the world. It is growing. And the, that is incredibly important, I think, to changing. And I, I use this term all the time because I really believe it's true to closing that perception gap of where Major League Soccer is and where people think it is. And that people applies to both fans here in the United States, fans in the rest of the world, people who work in soccer in the rest of the world, and really importantly, to media in this country. It is... MLS is further away from being treated... equally or even close to equally by media entities in this country than it is from getting respect from fans in this country. And that directly influences how people perceive the league. As long as Major League Soccer is still treated and covered like a minor league by local news outlets and national news outlets, as long as it's kind of relegated to a sideshow – it's going to be hard to convince people that it's worth watching. I talk about it all the time in the context of ESPN's coverage where, you know, MLS is very rarely included in mainstream right. shows. When it is included in mainstream shows, people pronounce the team names wrong, the player names Man, wrong. I was looking. They laugh. I was about looking at those names Paul, wrong. Paul, I was
0: looking at the, in the ESPN press release yesterday about the MLS schedule and their schedule of games for the season. I think it was Cincinnati. They called them Cincinnati FC in a press release. Like, can you imagine? Like, if they got in yeah, like I if mean, they this, switched this kind the of order, stuff
1: happens all the time.
0: Yeah, of a Even team in name in the NBA. Moments
1: when a highlight occurs, you know, they'll they'll say player names wrong, they'll say team name wrong, like like something as simple as that, and it 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 knocks MLS down in in the the eyes of the viewers. You have to have educated anchors speaking and treating the league as. Though it matters that they're educated about it. And that, that has to come from the very top, right? Like, not every sports center anchor knows the NHL, but they know that they better not pronounce Alex Ovechkin's name wrong in a broadcast because they'll look stupid, right? That, that same level and layer of respect <laughs> has to be given to saying Diego so, so name. So MLS right.
0: fans like, need to go after sports center anchors on Twitter like NHL fans would. Is that what you're saying here?
1: <laughs> no, it's just like it it's it's about gaining that respect. And and it's not just on the media outlets, right? Like MLS has to this is what we talk about with that gap. Like MLS does have to close the gap more with Liga MX with Europe to to kind of prove that they're worthy of this attention, but they are more worthy of the attention than they get. And and I think when we talk about kind of the global perception of MLS, that's actually advancing at a faster rate than the American perception of MLS. Yeah. Because people in Europe are are seeing Weston McKinney and Chris Richards, neither of whom played in MLS but came out of MLS academies, going and doing well. Yeah, Tyler We're Adams, also seeing who did Brendan play in MLS. Aronson, Tyler Alfonso Adams, Davies, you may have heard of, of him. <laughs> Alfonso. Yeah. All of the, the, these these players, they're seeing Jesse Marsh go and coach at Red Bull Salzburg. That is changing people's perceptions of Americans and American soccer. And, you know, again, selling players more often, understanding the dynamics of the transfer market and being willing to sell players for less than the marquee money to not the marquee teams in order to create a bigger market for MLS develop players, all of those things factor into this. And for me, figuring out how to utilize the time between now and 2026 to shrink that gap as much as possible, both in this country and abroad, should be the number one focus of every MLS team and of the league itself. And there are many different avenues to do that. You can spend more and bring in better players. You can spend more on infrastructure. So you have a better scouting network to sign better players for less money. Mm-hmm. You can have, you can have a better spending on your academy levels and on your data analysts. You know, it's not just spending more on the players on the field. There are ways to do this and that needs to be the focus of MLS. Spending more doesn't just mean buying more players or spending more money on salaries, you know, Infrastructure spending matters significantly, and I don't, again, I don't think that we're seeing that taken seriously enough by the majority Hmm. of MLS I
0: don't know if that's true. I think a lot of these owners are spending on the back end in those areas that you mentioned. Not enough. Perhaps, Um, but I do think a lot of them are taking it seriously. You talk about infrastructure, right? And this isn't the infrastructure you were talking about, but you look at the stadiums and the training facilities, like those are legitimately world-class like the soccer stadiums and the training facilities that MLS teams have are legitimately world-class. They would belong in any league in the world. Um, And that's something that that's maybe the biggest strength of MLS when it comes to, you know, an international perception. Right. Um, So they're spending in those areas. Right. I they're spending on the academies. A lot of teams,
1: but the problem is, same is we're we're bringing all these things up. It's piecemeal. It's piecemeal. Well, but that's right? what you just described, faci- though,
0: that you need to spend in all of these no, different
1: areas. In all of them. Yeah. Like, every team should be spending in all of these areas. Like, to me, it's not enough. It's great that FC Dallas spends as much as it does on its academy, and it's done so incredibly well. Like, it doesn't mean that they don't need to spend on their first team I roster. agree. It doesn't mean that they don't need to do better with their stadium and all these other areas, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to beat FC Dallas up here because I think that they're finally starting to really get it and they're start, and they're starting to bear. And they've improved you know, their
0: stadium. Years yeah. and
1: years and years and yeah. years of work. Like I, I actually think FC Dallas is a lot closer to what we're talking about. I think FC Dallas has run, run much than better
0: than most teams in the league.
1: Yes. I, I think that when you talk about a team like DC United, like they're building a training facility. That's great. How many scouts have you signed? How many data analysts have you signed? How much I mean, money are you putting your like, academy? They just started. No, we're getting let, there. Let, we're getting no, there. My, I'm no, not I, trying I to say that. I agree with you.
0: These teams just need to be operated like a major league first class organization. Their owners need to, to try, right? Arthur Blank, when he came in, he tried. He's like, this team, Atlanta United, I'm going to treat them exactly like I treat the Falcons. LAFC owners, they did the same thing. And look at the results, right? Not enough teams in MLS are doing that. I completely agree with you there.
1: Um, I don't know what we're arguing about. What are we arguing about? We need, <laughs> I just, I, I just think we're going to see, I think we need to continue to see. All I'm saying is, and, and we're getting there. We're seeing signs of it. But when we talk about spending, I, I want to emphasize that we, I mean, at least, and I think you do too. I'm not, I'm just not trying to speak for you <laughs> here. Um, But I think it needs to just be this continued focus on increase in spending in all of these areas with an eye on 2026. Shrink that perception gap globally. Shrink that perception gap nationally. And when that World Cup comes, try to have a convergence of this understanding of – what people think mls is and what it actually is right
0: so you don't have to be the best league in the world but when people come out of that 2026 world cup and say hey i want to go watch a soccer game in person and they go and they watch and they're like damn this is a great experience and this is a pretty good soccer game too right? exactly and and exactly. like and and that's how you get people coming back and but that's that's what i'm sort of getting at here it's incremental right and that step function isn't going to be a million it's it's not going to be rainbows and unicorns right it needs to be incremental growth you can't skip steps in this stuff and one major step that somehow here we are 45 minutes into the stamp show we haven't even mentioned it
2: yet is league mx and we're going to talk about that after this break this episode is brought to you by linkedin jobs who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role you don't want to end up with ryan graham and joe just kidding
0: We've been talking a lot about MLS. We have not yet mentioned League MX in any length. We're going to do that now. Paul, I think it was last week, less than a week ago, last Friday, Gianni Infantino, FIFA president, came out and told some reporters that he thought a combined MLS, League MX, Mexican, Canadian, American League could be the biggest, best, baddest thing in the world. And that was notable because in the past, FIFA has sort of blocked regional leagues, right? I believe MLS is the only league in the world, in fact, that spans two countries, the only major league in the world that spans two countries. And so adding a third country in Mexico to that mix would be a major step. And it would require a lot of different hurdles to be cleared with CONCACAF, with the leagues, with owners, and ultimately with FIFA. So the fact that Infantino seems to be open to this is significant, right? And, uh, putting aside the fact of of what he said about the biggest, best, baddest league in the world. But that's another part of this growth thesis for MLS is that, hey, glomming on to the League MX audience could be a significant way to goose media deals, to gain more fans, and to accelerate this entire process that we're
1: talking about, right? Before we get into any of that, can I just say that the word glomming on... Is definitely something that I would mispronounce on this show. Well, how would you? You and would, since I, you would I don't plan it? on. I, 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 since I don't <laughs> plan on adding to my extensive. You're just glomming on to what I just said. <laughs> yeah, my extensive dictionary of words I've mispronounced on this show. How do you mispronounce glom? Look, that
0: what's there to mispronounce?
1: I don't, I don't Am, know. I might, I'm just saying might it's, be it's mi- an example of a type of word that's. You know, a little bit of onomatopoeia maybe involved in there. Like it feels like, yeah. uh (laughs) You didn't mispronounce that Uh, though. (laughs) I just, I just want, I just want, you know, let's keep these themes running through the shows even when I'm not mispronouncing stuff. I just, you know, that's all. You know what would be funny?
0: I might be mispronouncing glom. I might not even know it. We'll find out on Twitter. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Um, so yeah, League MX is the most popular league. For soccer in the United States. More people watch it than watch the Premier League, than watch MLS. Um, Ton of people watch, ton of people are excited about it. League MX and MLS, for those who listen to the show, you already know the relationship is growing. There's Campeones Cup, there's Leagues Cup, there's obviously CCL, which is a CONCACAF competition. The point of those competitions is basically to package tournaments that can be sold for media rights or to media companies for. rights deals, right? And to make some more money and of course to generate more interest. For MLS, it's to glom on to some new fans, right? And there's there's real potential there. And you know, Paul, we've we've talked to some people that characterize it more as like early dating right now than like a marriage. They're not ready to like move in together. They've they've just gone on a couple of dates. They're kind of feeling each other out. Things are going well. They're kind of intrigued and we'll see where it goes. Right. And that's sort of the stage that they're at right now. And who knows? Maybe it will end in a marriage one day. And maybe there is a merged league of some sort. There's a long way to go before we get there. But this is one of the elements of that potential for growth that these owners and prospective owners see.
1: I just want to note that I'm really holding myself back here on what I can compare Leak's Cup to and Campione's Cup to in this dating scenario. You've got Don't hold back. two parties Why are you that your are tongue? very attracted to each other. Things are going yeah. really well so far. They just want to set up a few more chances to get together, try things out, see if they're vibing in all these different spaces. Sure. I'm gonna hold it back there. You guys listening, you guys can just take it to that. They're making moment. out on the dance floor. I'm right not now. going to. I'm an adult. This isn't we're not talking about makeouts at the keg. Let other people tell you that on Twitter, Sam. Okay. We'll leave it to your imagination. Look, <laughs> this is this is a mutually beneficial relationship. There's so much here that makes sense. You laid it out, right? League MX. There's so much money that they're not making that they can be making in the United States. So much more money, right? They can do so much more with this massive built-in audience that they already have in this country. They're the most popular soccer league in the United States. MLS could make so much money by tapping into that TV audience (laughs) and putting it into their packages. By glomming onto it. and Glomming (laughs) onto it and saying to their TV partners, hey, When you're paying us for the next four years or five years or six years of a TV package, we are delivering you these X number of games with League MX teams that are going to do 700,000 viewers, 800,000 viewers. Hey, you're even going to get some League MX versus League MX games in the finals of all these tournaments for the next four or five years. (laughs) And those are going to do a million. And that helps Major League Soccer, too. So there, it makes too much sense. Too much sense not to work together, partner up. Continue dating, make out a few more times, however you want to put it. And the question is, can you ever get to a place where a joint league makes sense? I don't know that you can get there. I think that's much tougher because of the logistics of the number of teams, yeah. the way these businesses are run, the travel, so many different egos of owners. It, it yeah, it gets very, very hard. The politics, it's just very difficult. I mean, shoot, even when we're talking about taxes, the way that, you know, things are taxed differently, it's, it, I, it's I a know mess. MLS already navigates yeah. it with Canada, but it just, it's, 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 it's messy. But I do think that Taking the relationship as far as you can go without walking down that aisle, you know this is where they want a to be. common they a common get. law
0: marriage, basically.
1: Yeah, we all have that buddy that's kind of dragged it out for too long, and he's kind of like, you yeah. know, you don't want to, you know, you you just don't, you can't get to that point. You can't. It's Romeo and Juliet. The two families aren't going to work. You know, let's just hope it doesn't end <laughs> the same way.
2: I'm Maybe very that confused. bad where to go. <laughs> I'm I'm all over
1: the place with this. But the point is they, they should be working yeah, together. That's and, the point. And they are. And, and the more you can and do that the and, and they will yeah, continue they to do
0: so, I imagine. And they're gonna continue to see where this goes. And that's part of that valuation equation for MLS owners and people interested in buying into the league. Um I'm just like, there's so much going on here that's really like that could be so interesting because that's gonna that could change the sport globally, like like a potential relationship between those two leagues. But you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about a little further. And that's like you were like, oh the hurdles, the size of that league, right? And it would be massive. MLS, let's say it gets the 32 League MX, are they at 18 or 19? I can never remember. You're talking about fifty teams, essentially. And if you have fifty teams in a league, that's I mean that's not a league. You need two leagues, right? And if you need two leagues, Paul, you know what the next step Promotion. All right, we're not relegation. We're not, we're not.
1: We're not doing that. Listen, we're not doing it. Listen, it's
0: not happening. What did listen, we
1: just talk about? Security. Listen.
0: I'm not saying it's going to happen. I do want to talk about some formats though, because maybe you can do like an apertura clausura thing, right? If there's 18 teams in Mexico and 32 in the U.S. and Canada, they can have uh, the first half of the year they play domestically, they play each other, right? And then you take the top half from each league, nine from Mexico. 16 from the U S and Canada. You have 25. They play each other in the second half of the season. And then the bottom 25 play each other as well. And maybe you have a format like that. Who knows? It could be interesting. Right. But the one thing I do want to talk about here, if MLS continues growing, let's say it continues growing past 32, if it gets to 40, do you think like a closed pro rel where it's MLS one and MLS two, and you can't you can't fall below mls2 and you can't get into it if you're outside the system. Do you think that's completely off the table?
1: Yeah, I don't think they'll grow because of that. I don't think they'll go to 40 because of that. And and I'm torn on it because I look around and I think and we'll do another show on this. But I really really believe one of the most important things to happen to American soccer is the stadiums that we see in places like Louisville and the academies that we see in places like yeah, San Antonio. Yeah, we talked about this last week Touching didn't we? Touching markets. Yeah, but I'd like to go like further in depth yeah. into this idea of like the low, you know, lower division soccer is so important because it reaches, it reaches all these communities where MLS teams can't reach in this massive country, right? You can't scout it efficiently. We talked about it before with Bayern Munich. Like same thing with CPL happen. teams up in Canada. Um, yeah and so it it's just it shows kind of the value of open of an open system, right because you want to provide those communities an opportunity to reach the pinnacle of whatever sport it may be, but i don't well, think well I, I don't think I there don't will think ever think be an open system to be clear i don't I don't, think, I don't even I don't think any owner will be willing to sign off on being in the second division of a yeah, closed system it's no like i don't, I, don't I
0: also don't think that that will happen um, but I also do think that maybe some owners Would push for that, right? Um, From a competition standpoint, maybe those owners are the owners of some of the better clubs who don't think that they would be going down or anything like that. Um, You could probably work it financially when you're talking about revenue sharing, where they're not really losing that much more money. Um, But anyway, it's an interesting idea to kick around. It's probably never going to happen. But if the league does want to expand to 40 or something like that, then I think it has to be on the table, right? But I think to your point that they won't expand that much simply because they don't want that on the table. That's pretty well taken. So Paul, we started this show by drawing the comparison between MLS sale prices in, in English premier league ones to say nothing of some of the prices in Italy or France, which are even lower. Um do they make sense? Does this does this whole thing make sense to you? What's your what's your take on the situation? Where and where do you think it's headed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think to some degree it makes sense because I do think that the valuation of these clubs is going to continue to go up. I don't think there's real indication that they're going to drop off. I don't buy the people who project that it's just going to be a bubble that bursts. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but I think, you know, when you look back at even the early purchases of NFL teams or NBA teams or NHL teams, you know, even the NHL, I mean, they were buying airtime on NBC not that long ago um, in the relative history of, of the league and where their TV deal is now. So I think that there is, you know, I think there is a real justification. I would also say, and I hope if anyone's listening to this, and hopefully many of you or all of you are subscribers to The Athletic, our colleague in the UK, Matt Slater, does incredible work. On the business side of European football, and diving into the inner workings of clubs, and there's so much more information that's publicly available in England because they're required to release all of their financial documents. I think they're like a year. For the Can year you imagine? Can by you, the way, I, I said this to someone the other day. Like. The absolute conniption that would be caused in Major League Soccer offices. Conniption. That's a good word, man. You're you're really busting out I'm, the I'm the on dictionary top of it today. I'm on top of it today. Yeah, I mean, can you just imagine? I think somebody said to me, it was like. I don't think that the CBA negotiations would be the same if Atlanta United had to turn over its books two weeks before those negotiations started <laughs> for what it did the previous season. <laughs> um, MLS does turn over its books, but, you know, I don't think they have to turn over to their the books un- to stop to the marketing UN. or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Um, the point is Later does incredible work. You should read his stuff. I was having a conversation with him the other day for this story that is going to run tomorrow may already be out there by the time you guys are listening to this on Daryl DK and Dane Murphy and Barnsley. Did oh, you finish? Yeah, I finished it. I filed it this morning. Uh um, yeah. You, you know, this Working story quick. on, on Barnsley and these two Americans whose fates have converged um, at this small club in South York, South Yorkshire in England. Um, and um we were talking about the, the, the model of this club and he's, He's working on a big story about this ownership group. This is another group that's bought several clubs in several countries around Europe and, and kind of what they're going to do. And we got to talking about um, profits. And, you know, he made a point of like teams, clubs in in Europe, they don't make money, you know, outside of a couple teams. Every year that make a little bit, you know, he's like Tottenham might make a little bit. Maybe city football group makes a little bit, but overall you're not really in it to make money. You're not your profit sheet isn't looking great. You're at the end of the year. That's not what this is about. You know, the, the year to year profit sheet. That's not what this is about. Very much like it's not the same in major league soccer, right? That they're the projections they're making, as you pointed out, Sam, are for. 30 years, 40 years, when we did the city football group story, Matt Slater was saying the Abu Dhabi group is looking a hundred years down. They don't, they don't care. They don't need to worry about anything. Um, And, and so when I look through that lens, I just think, yeah, it's justifiable. I think nobody has to sell or very, I don't think very many owners in MLS are at a point where they have to sell. I think those who are, will be selling, and yeah. I, I think those, before
0: 2026, probably those
1: who are spending now are, are, or who are buying in now are, are totally justified in, in saying, you know what, I'm projecting in 10 or 20 years that I'm going to be able to sell this for a profit. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive on it. Or I've, they
0: might not be interested in selling.
1: Right. right? That's the other But part. I don't think it's any different. Then if they would go and spend a little bit less on Newcastle, spend a lot more year to year to make or lose similar amounts of money and maybe be able to sell for a profit if they don't go down, right? So, you know, yes, I think it's justifiable is where I fall. Sam, where do you fall on this?
0: Yeah, I think it is. And I want to remove the European context from this, right? Is it justifiable on its own merits? Right, like in the in the MLS ecosystem in the North American ecosystem, does it make sense to buy this growth? And can we be confident enough in that growth actually happening, right, to justify these super high prices? Or are the fundamentals on the ground (laughs) going to matter at some point, right? And if MLS doesn't actually improve those fundamentals, like could these things, you know, you mentioned the bubble, and and you hear chatter about that on Twitter and and uh, in other places? in conversations that you have, um, is that a real thing that could happen? And I don't really think it is. Uh, I think that the fundamentals will continue to improve incrementally um, so that this growth narrative, it's never going to stop. Not anytime soon anyway, right? And, and like this is something that I've changed my thinking on because I used to be the guy... That was, oh, well, once 2026 comes and goes, right, if you're not kicking by then, then you can't turn around and say, well, MLS is this growing league. Like, come on in, right? Don't worry about that price. It'll pay off. I used to be the guy that said, well, the facts on the ground are really going to have to matter. And the the league is going to have to take a big jump in terms of those facts on the ground in order to continue to justify these prices. And I don't know if that's true. Like, I think I've changed my mind on that. And I think as long as you continue to grow incrementally between now and 2026, I think you continue, you can continue to sell the growth at some point if expansion ends at 32 and let's just say it does for the purposes of this conversation, it ends at 32. Well, then you're talking real scarcity, right? There's no more teams. So if you want one, you've got to buy in from an existing owner. You can't get an expansion spot. And at that point, right, the supply is super, super limited, even more limited than it is right now. And there are so many non-financial reasons to want to own a team, um, you know, cash in the community. It's just a fun thing. Who wouldn't want to own a sports team? that will be cool. Right. If you're a sports fan, that will be amazing. I would love that. <laughs> you know, so there's enough non-financial reasons. And I think that there will be enough incremental growth pretty much every single year that that growth narrative will be able to continue. Um, Maybe the meteorites deal doesn't kick in huge ahead of 2023. Maybe the World Cup isn't this huge bonanza for MLS. But I think it'll still be incremental growth. And I think valuations will continue to rise. But maybe not at the rate we've seen them rise here over the last five to ten years. Maybe that slows down after 2026. I think that's the most likely, most reasonable scenario, in my opinion.
1: We've covered a lot of ground here. I hope this is one of those episodes where I get reminded that people listen to this show because they reach out and they've listened to it and it spurs some more conversations. Because, Sam, I think there's so much more ground that we could cover.
0: Man, there are like a million things going through my head right now that we, we could didn't talk about that I want to talk about. And we will. I do. Actually, I want to say one more thing. I want to say one more thing just about this whole situation. MLS is not a monolith in terms of its ownership groups. It's not. And we talk about this a lot on this show, but there are conservative factions and there are aggressive factions. And I think the league, for the most part, is still governed by the conservative factions for the most part. But I think that power balance is starting to shift a little bit. And I think it's going to continue to shift as you get more people like David Tepper or I would imagine probably the Wilf family buying into this league these people are billionaires they're buying in for huge huge amounts of money way more than anybody else has they're going to want to be aggressive i would imagine right and so if you can build a critical mass of those aggressive owners that's when you're going to start to see some more some those increments they're going to start to get larger right so i think i think that will be really interesting and i think that's something to really pay attention to going forward
1: yeah, well, we've we've had a long show, but before we go, real quick, I do want to do one sentence on the senior national team. Sam, you get one sentence on the Olympic <laughs> team, and then we're gonna close out this show. Okay. My impression from today's game with the U.S. team, Sergenio Dest at left back is probably what's going to happen, and Brendan Aronson has proven that he will be a part of this core group going forward, uh, potentially even fighting for a starting job. Sam, what do you got on the Olympic team?
0: Can I have a thought on the senior team yeah, too? I guess so. Kellen Acosta? did he just is he putting himself into that 18 or 23 for these camps?
1: He gave he gave Greg Berhalter a legitimate depth option at number six. Now don't forget about Jackson Yule. He's with the Olympic team. He's probably Tyler Adams backup at the number six, but the fact that Kellen Acosta has that versatility don't hurt. No,
0: it does not. Um on the Olympic team, it hasn't been pretty, but that does literally does not matter. Um style points don't count in a tournament like this. It's really bizarre competition where the first game really mattered against Costa Rica. And then once you won that pretty much the only other game that was going to be a challenge, (laughs) at least from like a challenge and it matters is the next one, which is the semi-final. Um, the U S has not looked good in any of their three games. They've kind of been messy and sloppy for a number of different reasonable reasons, um, that they shouldn't be faulted for some of them, some of them they should. Um, but it all comes down to this. They're going to be at a talent advantage on Sunday and they should take care of business even if it doesn't look good. Um, and don't freak out if it doesn't look good because literally the only thing that matters is the result.
1: Yeah. We can't strip the context from this tournament. Bunch of players in preseason, the very best players in the stage group playing in another continent in friendlies. They still haven't the been good season. though, yeah, yeah, Paul. Sure. They still haven't but been they're good. they're in preseason. Many of these guys haven't played regularly in four or five months and that matters. And they've, they've looked bad. They've not looked pretty, but Again, Sam, I'll emphasize what you said. Get a win in the semifinal. It's literally the only thing that matters. Yeah.
0: All right. That's it. The only thing that matters. Dunkaroos. Thanks for listening.